good morning. Good morning. I'm so excited to be back here. I was out last week and dealing with some issues, and you can just pray for me and health issues, and I would appreciate that. I believe strongly in the power of prayer. I'm a prayer warrior. I lift up people all the time. In fact, that's part of what uh, birthed this message, as a matter of fact. All creation groans, and we all groan as well from time to time, and the older you get, the more you groan physically and sometimes spiritually. Well, let me pray us in and we'll get going because we've got a lot to cover. It's going to be really good stuff to help you understand some of the why questions or give you some of the answers to these why questions when we see people suffering like we do in this world and people cry out, where is God? Where is God? And why do we let these things happen? Father God, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. And thank you for allowing me to be back today. Suffering, pain, and all these things that afflict us are things we, we bring before you, and you're, you're delighted to hear them from us. So I pray, Lord, that everyone hearing this would never be afraid, never think that we are burdening you because there is no burden when your children turn to you in prayer and cry out, Abba, Father. So, Lord, let these words in this time we have together be a, a blessing, an encouragement, and a hope to those who are dealing with whatever it is, because we all have stuff that we are dealing with. And I ask it in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Romans 8 is one of the most powerful, meaty chapters in all of the Bible as relates to our relationship with Christ. And so I'm going to begin our, our key verse. It's for we know that whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly. That's found in Romans 8, 22 and 23. I'm going to give you the context of that, and that's found, obviously, in the verses ahead of it in Romans 8. So I'm going to read that part to you now. And the very first verse in Romans 8 is one of the great encouraging verses in all the Bible for those of us who are born again in Christ. For there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation, none. You're not condemned to anything. Your sin is forgiven. All the stupid, foolish things we've done, forgiven and forgotten because of the blood of Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And that's a big hallelujah, amen verse right there, right there. And, and it's a great way to start. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For the mind set on the flesh is death, meaning hostile toward God. The mind set on the spirit is life and peace. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Okay, you're not flesh, you're not hostile toward God. There's no death if, if you're in Christ Jesus. He goes on to say, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ in us, that person does not belong to Christ, or in other words, is not born again. I spent a great deal of time, about five weeks recently, going through trying to challenge people, help us understand, are you really born again in Christ? It's the most important question anyone can be asked and must ask to those that you know and love. And me as an evangelist and Bible teacher, I want to ask everybody that I meet, and I want to challenge them in that and encourage them in that to ask that question. And Paul gives a great uh, way of knowing that right now, that if the Spirit of Christ does not dwell in us, then that person does not belong to Christ. 
For those who are born again have a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father, as I said in my prayer. Abba, Father is a Greek word that translates into something we would say like daddy, like daddy, that affectionate uh, term that people like children call me daddy at one stage in their lives. These, these are terms of endearment and affection. We cry out to our God as his children, right, as his sons and daughters, Abba, Father. And he expects and wants us to do that. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are indeed children of God. And if we are children of God, then we're heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. And I underline there that we suffer with him. We suffer him. We're not going to be crucified, probably, but we still suffer. The body suffers. The body suffers and groans. And that's our message today. For I consider that these sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed to us. For eagerly awaiting creation awaits the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. We're going to talk about what that means, because that's talking about creation, not the human part, but what we would call nature. It's a strange verse, but it makes perfect sense as we look at it in context. We're going to keep going to do that. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him, meaning God who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into freedom the glory of the children of God. So let's ask the first question, why? Why do we groan? We're going to look at the groaning part first. We know, and I've spent a lot of time teaching you in uh, past years, about Genesis. And we often go back to Genesis whenever we're teaching as we talk about sin, because that's where it all started. But in this case, we go back to Genesis 1 and 2 as well, because that's where creation started. And the holy, perfect God created this magnificent, perfect creation. Everything was perfect. All these things that he had created. And man was not among them. We get all the way to day six, and a lot of other things have been created. All the world has been created. The mineral side, all those things, and plants, animals, and then he creates man. He said, let's create man in our image, and it's an unusual verse. I've shared it with you many times in Genesis 1, 26, 27, so he did. And that our image means, again, that, and that us, those references refer to the Trinity, we're the only creatures, we're the only beings, or excuse me, the only creatures within that all of creation that he did something different. He breathed into us. He breathed his spirit into ours. And that's the image of God part. He didn't do that with any of the animals, any other living, air-breathing creature, just man. God breathed us into the spirit. And that's why we're different and unique. We're created in the image of God. And all the rest of creation is created by God and for God and then for mankind, but not in the image of God. So that's the Genesis 1 and 2 creation part. But then we go to Genesis 3, and we spent a lot of time there. And that's the fall of man. And Satan, the fallen archangel, thrown out of heaven, rebelled against God for pride, wanted to be God, jealous of God, cast out of heaven, with, uh, took a third of the angels with him who became the demons that roam the earth today. And they are there today, present today, just as they were. Satan present today, just as he was. And people think that's a bunch of hooey, and people laugh at that. And yet, throughout the month of October, some of these TV channels are running nothing but all these movies, horror movies and scary movies about ghosts and demons and people possessed and things like that. 
And we know that Jesus cast out demons throughout his ministry, and, and some of the disciples and others did as well going forward. It hasn't changed. That hasn't changed. Those beings are still around. Well, I'll stop there for now. Anyway, so sin comes in the world through that, right? Eve eats of the forbidden fruit. Adam does as well. And then all creation is broken. And all creation and nature groan. And that's when it started. That's when all of this started. Everything that we have today that in terms of suffering and sin and everything that results from sin came at that point. That's the broken point. The perfect world that God created with perfect everything was broken. Listen, God did not intend that things would look like they do. The world would function like it functions. That was not its intent. I want to give you an example here when we look at nature groans and just understanding some of these things because these are your nature and everything about it, rocks, trees, all the things that some of which are considered beautiful at certain times of the year. This time of year, trees have been turning their leaves and most of them have fallen now, but it's a beautiful thing. It's a very beautiful thing. It's a revelation of nature and God in nature to see the beauty of, of just a, a piece of that, but nothing like what it was intended to be was not intended to be that way. And so I have a, a few verses here I'm going to share with you. The first one's from Jesus. This is found in, in Mark 4, 36 to 41. And there are many examples. Of this, but I, just, I picked one here for you just to give us an example of well, how does nature groan? How, how does nature have a, a person, if you will? Nature is not human. We, we don't really understand what he's talking about here. With, how does creation and nature groan just because man sinned? Mark wrote this in Mark 4, leaving the crowd, they, the disciples, took Jesus along with them in the boat, just as he was, and on, on and other boats were there with them. And there rose a fierce storm, a fierce gale of wind, and the waves, waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was filling up with water. Now Jesus himself was in the stern asleep on a cushion. <laughs> and they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Well, look, this is massive, mighty storm. And the boats were not, you know, they weren't cruise ships. They weren't tankers. They weren't, this wasn't necessarily a small boat. It was enough to hold the, the 12 of them, including Jesus, and had a place to sleep. But it's interesting that they're freaking out, as we would too, right? And Jesus is back there asleep while this, to them, all hell is breaking loose. And so they go back and say, don't you care? Don't you care that we're perishing? We're all about to die. The boat's about to be swamped. This is what we read now. Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, spoke to the sea, spoke to the water and the waves, hush, be still. And the wind died down, and so did the sea. The sea became calm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you have no faith still? And then they became incredibly afraid and said to one another, who is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. I get chills every time I read these stories. I love these stories. I love these times when Jesus speaks to what we'd call nature, when Jesus speaks to creation, that part that was created before we were right there was the water first, and then things came up, the, the mass came up out of the water that created our continents and all that. I mean, it's, it's, it's great. And it's, by the way, it's the way it happened. It's the true way that all of this came into being in creation. And it's not the evolutionist side of that story. It is not. 
I want to make sure that I want to teach that it is not that way. It is absolutely not. And we were rebuked and scoffed and laughed at for that. And they have won because they teach all that stuff to our children. And they forget to talk about the God who created it all to begin with. And that is troublesome to me. And it should be to you as well. And we should never stop speaking out our voice, even though it gets drummed down. But Jesus got up and spoke to the wind and spoke to the waves. So stop that. Be still. Be still. Just like you would a child. Just like you would say, you know, my children, Trey, be still. Gracie, be quiet. Grace, you know, Zach. Jesus spoke to them. And what happened? They obeyed. They obeyed. Why did they obey? Because they knew the creator. They knew the creator. I just find that fascinating and amazing. And it happened many other times, and I don't want to take the time to share all those with you. They're wonderful, encouraging stories. You go look them up and read them for yourselves. There are other times when there were storms. There was a time that he walked on water. He walked on water. He walked on top of it because he could. And he called Peter out, and Peter jumped out of the boat and that whole story. There was that one. There were other times he did that. The fig tree. They're walking on the way to Jerusalem. And the fig tree was in it didn't have any fruit, didn't have any figs on it. And Jesus cursed it and it and it withered. It came back the next day and it was all withered and gone. And and the disciples said, What happened? What happened? Because Jesus spoke to it, and I'm going to that story, but again, the fig tree withered and died because Jesus spoke to it that way. Told it to. Why they obeyed? Because they know the creator. Nature knows the creator. I love the one where the, uh, the Pharisees, the story where the Pharisees are getting on Jesus about the crowds, you know, yelling and screaming and praising him, uh, crying out Hosanna and acting as if they were praising God. And they were really upset because they thought Jesus was just a lunatic. Right. And so they rebuke him and say, you should not allow these people to be praising you and crying out to you like that. For God alone deserves that kind of praise. And Jesus says something like this. If they don't do it. These rocks will cry out. Even these rocks will cry out. And some think that that was just his way of speaking in some hyperbole. But I do not. Because if you look at the way the other aspects of nature have responded to Jesus and his spoken word, I can assure you that the rocks, as much as anything else, know that Jesus Christ is creator, created them, and they know that. And his point was, if people don't praise me, nature will praise me and rise up. And part of this creation grown things is all around this, that creation in some way that we don't understand, it's not revealed to us, it's just longing for the time when it's fixed again. And we're going to close with that later on today or maybe next time. But creation longs for that, and that's what it said in that verse. Creation longs for the time that the sons and daughters of man, the Christians, you are made perfect again, too, at the second coming. And remember, there's a new heaven and earth. And creation somehow knows its creator and responds. And because of sin, creation was absolutely broken. Listen, God did not intend that there would be earthquakes and famines and fires and floods and all the things and droughts and all the things that have happened that happened through nature wasn't intended. That wasn't part of it. All of that 
all of that is part of the fall. It's a part of the fall of man. It was never intended, not in God's perfect world and creation. And so the fall of man and the sin of man caused all of this to be broken, everything to be broken. Things to come into the world to happen to nature and to people that God never intended. God never intended these things. And you can get anything about the sovereignty of God and say, well, he meant he caught. No, no, he did not. He did not. God intended what he created, which was perfection. And he created man and woman to create the create mankind. And it was perfect. It was perfect. And of course, he knew it would go on because he's God and he's sovereign. He uh, has all the foreknowledge and he's omnipotent and omniscient and all those things. But God did not intend that these things would happen and that all of nature would be broken and that people would groan. That was not the perfect design and the perfect plan. So God had to make other plans, and he did. He did. We know that. And that also begins in Genesis 3, which leads us into talking about now how humanity groans. Talking about nature groans, now let's talk about how humanity groans. And there's no greater example of that. Most people have heard of Job. Even people who have never been in a church or opened the Bible have heard of Job and his suffering and the patience of Job. When you read the book of Job, it's interesting and sometimes difficult. And it's a story about three friends that, that, well, first it's a story about how, you know, Satan calls out God because Job's got all this stuff and everything's perfect in his world, but he's never been tested or tried. And so God allows, allows, permits Satan to begin to test and to try Job with horrible, awful things all the way up to his death. He would not let him take his life, but he allowed him to take everything else. It's, again, a difficult, trying story to understand, Lord, why would you do that? Not Why would you do that? Job was a good, godly man, and you let Satan destroy his family and his livestock and all those things, everything that he owned, his possessions, and then his body afflicted with boils and things horrible, awful. And, just, and so a lot of stories in, in that. That's the book of Job. But I wanted, as we're talking about moving into now humanity groans, one of the first examples and Job was perhaps the first of all the patriarchs. He wrote this. I mean, excuse me. He said this in Job 3 after all this had happened. Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, meaning God has forsaken him? And God is hedged in. He can't do anything about it. Satan keeps coming and coming and coming, and, and Job has no recourse, and, and God's hedged him in. God's not listening in his, in his uh, opinion, his thoughts. At that time, with all that's going on, who could blame him? For sighing has become my daily food. And my groans pour out like water, groaning and groaning because he's got these boils on his skin and suffering and itching and all the stuff that goes on when you can't do anything about it. Today, we have medicines and we don't suffer very long or groan very long before we head to the doctor. We take a pill. We do something. We put on some kind of ointment, whatever. But Job did not have those things. And so Job's sitting there and the dust and the ashes and just all the stuff being accused by his friends groans, groans. That's a great example, perhaps the best example of humanity groaning. The Apostle Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 5, for indeed in this tent, and I love how Paul talked about this throughout. One of Paul's key messages was that, look, we are, we are pilgrims. We are not, we're not residents. And part of the problem with, with people today in this world, and even Christians, perhaps especially the affluent Christians and the affluent church, We've set up residency here. 
we're doing just great. We don't need for Christ to come. We're not sure heaven's going to be any better because we've got it really good. I mean, I have people that live in massive homes and beautiful mansions and have all the money they could possibly need. You can't spend it all. That's heaven on earth. Well, it isn't. But you see, we get caught up in that. And Paul keeps reminding us, listen, these are tents. We live in tents. These are earthly tents. And what's a tent? A tent something you pitch, sleep in it for a night or two, get up and move on, go somewhere else. And so he said, um, again, in 2 Corinthians 5, for indeed in this tent we groan while we're in these temporary bodies. And that's a good thing. And we'll get to that later, the other side of that. But in these temporary bodies, these tents, we groan. Why? Because we have diseases and afflictions and stuff that comes to us. But it's temporary. In these tents, we groan, longing to be clothed, rather, dwelling with our dwelling from heaven. For indeed, we who are in this tent groan, being burdened. It's life. It is life as a result of the fall of sin and stuff happens and awful things happen and sickness and disease happen. They came in as part of that brokenness through sin. God did not intend that. Again, we weren't supposed to be in this situation where we're suffering and groaning and disease and sickness and all the things that afflict us as human beings. They lived, well, they would have lived forever. Adam and Eve would have lived forever, but part of that sin was physical death and spiritual death. And you notice throughout, if you'll study the book of Genesis, just read it, you'll see that the lifespans went from, you know, I don't know um, all of them, but we can see a lot of them that lived 900 plus years, nearly a thousand years, and came on down um, shorter and shorter and shorter, and especially after the flood, because the flood destroyed the canopy that protected human life from these uh, the rays of the sun getting through that caused death and decay and caused us to age. There was no aging process. But after the flood, when God got so fed up with human beings because of sin again, you know the story. He spared the eight of them, known as family, and that part of that flood came from that, and that canopy was destroyed. And from that point on, people lived much more life uh, ages like we do. And we live much shorter, but you get on down to um, Abraham, uh, I think uh, Joseph lived 115, uh, Moses 120, and you start to get on down. We have people today that live that, right? Not many, but a few, but it keeps coming on down. Why? Because of the, the decay of the world that happens because of sin and its physical decay and its moral decay. And, these, and so we live in tents, as Paul's referring to them. I have friends that have had family, and you do as well who suffer. I mean suffer with some of these horrible, awful diseases. ALS, MS, MD, polio was a huge issue um, in my childhood and before. Hasn't been eradicated, but has been taken under control. Many of them cancers. I can't think of anyone a family that hasn't been affected by cancer of some kind, all kinds of cancers. Uh, cancers are different aber aberrant cells in different places that do what they're not supposed to do and grow and multiply and places they're not supposed to be. And why is all of this? I mean, all these different diseases. And I know a little bit about some of them, and but they are physiological and biochemical and other types of breakdowns, things aren't working like they should. There's a huge dysfunction and something happens and we don't know why. 
I mean, some things we know, like smoking related, cancer related to smoking, things like that. We've caused that. We've brought that on ourselves because we've induced poisons in our body to cause that. And we know that, you know, cirrhotic livers and things like that, you know, with because we people drank too much. There are things that we know that we have absolutely caused ourselves or humans have brought on themselves because of what they chose to eat, drink, how they live, whatever. And then there are those that we don't. They just come on. like, And some of these are horrible, awful. They, people suffer terribly. And, and it's over a period of time, like with ALS. And I've known people that have died like that. And it's just awful to watch. What's, what's amazing to watch, and one example, the pastor's wife was the incredible testimony that she maintained throughout that time. That's one of the most amazing things I've seen. People do that. When the Holy Spirit is in you and that Spirit of God is in you, just knows that, that this temporary dwelling place, this tent, will be made whole. And we'll talk about that more later. But you see, in the meantime, people are groaning. They're groaning and suffering from these different diseases. One of the verses that, I don't know if you know it or not, Psalm 22.1, you will know it from when it was repeated in the Gospels. But in Psalm 22.1, David, David the shepherd, David the king, is going through some of the same kinds of afflictions. And David cries out these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, he's distant. But the first part of that verse sounds familiar, doesn't it? And it should. Because those are the words that Jesus Christ quoted and cried out to God himself on the cross. She became sin for us right before he died. And he cried out those words. But David had cried them out just like we can when David was suffering like we are. We don't know exactly what it was. David brought a lot of things on himself. But in this case, he just cries out, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? Why are you so far away from my groaning? You've abandoned me. You've deserted me. How can this be happening to me? We have all been there. Creation groans. All of creation groans. The second part of this message is the second part of that verse. We know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pangs of childbirth, the pangs of childbirth together until now. We know that creation groans. We talked about that part, and here's the second part. And suffers the pains of childbirth together until now, meaning even into that present time. That creation grown from the time, as we talked about, we talked about the groaning. I want to talk about this pain, this, or the suffering, the travailing, if you will. And not only this, but we all, and I'm reading verse 23 now. Not only this, but we also, we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons. And I read to you the verses before that. Well, travail. What does that mean? I use the word travail because in the older translations, travail was a word always associated with childbirth. I don't know if you've heard the word or not, but your, your parents may have, grandparents, but travail was that pain of childbirth and labor all the way through childbirth of just groaning, suffering, all those things to hurt. It hurts. And we know that um, indeed it does. Now, I, I wrote in this, the part I'll post up later today, uh, the, the notes, the message part of this in writing, that um, at times in my life, 
I have moaned and groaned about something and complained about what men and the hurt and the pain and stuff we have to do as men. And I promise you those words, one, when I, when I remember it, I immediately want to pull those back in because my wife in, in the neighborhood vicinity happens to hear that. She'll say something like, really? How many children did you birth? How many, how many did you push out? Hmm. And so I'm quickly reminded that as men, our part of the curse was not that, which was the woman's curse and, and, and becomes a blessing, which we'll see. But that was that they would travail and push out and have this really difficult time with childbirth from this time labor starts and those contractions all the way through what can be hours and hours of travail or pain until that birth, the child is finally pushed out. So like I said, I'm kind of reminded of that um, <laughs> every time I start complaining about it. Jesus used that same analogy. One reason I used that was that Jesus used that same analogy when his disciples were asking him about end times. When's it going to end, Lord? He began telling them about it. Well, when's that going to happen? Are you coming right back? Remember, I think I've shared with you before that um, the New Testament church, the early church, the early Christians thought Christ's return was imminent, just as we do today, 2,000 years later. It wasn't very imminent for them, was it? They kept thinking, oh, Jesus said he's coming soon. He's coming soon. And we all think of soon as soon. But soon is defined differently by God. And so in Matthew 24, Jesus is answering this question of his disciples. And he said this, talking about the end times. Many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. These are false teachers. These are antichrists, not yet the antichrist. Anybody who's posing God and opposing Christ is an antichrist with a little a. Jesus talked about them. John talked about them. They will lead many astray. And that's going on now. These false teachers, lots of churches with false teachers, lots of big churches with false teachers. And that's why I tell you all the time, I'm teaching the truth of the word of God with integrity for a reason. Because so many are not. We want to stay focused on the word of God and its truth. But Jesus said to come and they'll lead many astray. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. That's been going on now throughout human history. But see that you're not alarmed for this must take place. But the end is not yet. That's not it. There's no nuclear war that's going to end things. People aren't going to end things. We don't have to worry about that. As Christians, we know that. It may look like many times some maniac ruler, some crazy president, some whatever, and we think people are going to flip the switch or drop the bomb. That was fear throughout my parents' generation, and ours is a little bit different now, but still, people are concerned about that. Some are afraid that that's going to bring the world to an end. Oh, if they just drop a nuclear bomb here and a nuclear bomb there and whatever, it's enough to do this and destroy the world. You, you can see all these crazy things on YouTube and different places. That's not how it's going to end. It isn't. It isn't. It may lead to further destruction of humanity, but that's not how it ends. And that's what Jesus was saying. That's not how it ends. He said the nation will rise against nation. We see that every day. Kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines. There are all over the world. Earthquakes in various places. All of these are not the end. They are the beginning of the birth pains, the birth pains, the travail, the suffering that the world is going to go through, just like a woman in labor. And that's where we are now. We know that's where we are now. The famine thing is amazing to me. We have more food produced in this world that could feed everybody until they're full and fat. And yet there's still famines and people who are starving to death. 
That doesn't make any sense. Well, of course it doesn't because it's humans trying to figure out something. We throw away more food in our home in America and, and in, in Western civilization and nations that are reasonably affluent. We throw away food all the time. There are people in nations around the world that would love to get those scraps coming off the table. And, and we just throw it away. We're wasteful. It's one of the things of not being a good steward of what God has given us. When he told Adam to go and tend that garden, be a good steward of it, and multiply that and Eve and make all that wonderful, perfect stuff. But it didn't end up that way. And sin has torn this all down. And so Jesus is saying it just gets worse and worse and worse. But that's not the end. The end, when the end comes, you'll know because you'll see me. That's what happens. That's how we know. That is how we know. In 2 Corinthians, nobody, I'm sure nobody had more travail suffering like this than Paul. And I'm going to read this passage uh, briefly. 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 28, Paul said this. He was having to, again, argue back with the Corinthians, the church at Corinth, about his authority and who he was and what he had done, his example, his testimony, because some were challenging him. And, well, how can you come in here and teach us? Who who are you to do this? And so often he had to defend his his authority and his apostleship. And here he said this, are there servants of Christ? I am speaking as if I'm insane. And if more so in far more labors, here's what he's talking about his own life, in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten many times without number, often in danger of death, Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes, 39 lashes with a whip on your back five different times. Three times beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, remember stoned and left for dead outside of the city. Three times I was shipwrecked. The night and the day I spent floating around in the water. You've seen Jaws, you wouldn't want to do that. And I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles. Dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brothers, those who call themselves Christians and friends but are not. I've been in labor, and here's it, I've been in labor, travail, and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there's a daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches, all that he had planted. That's travail. That's that kind of suffering that we're talking about here, the other side of this verse, from the groaning. We groan. This is actual suffering, and no one did it more than the Apostle Paul in all these things that he did. And Job in the Old Testament, groaning and suffering and all these things I've talked to you about from people with horrible, awful diseases that don't understand why. And, and when you say, well, it goes back to the fall of man and sin, that those aren't very comforting words for a lot of people. They're surely not comforting words at all for people who aren't born again in Christ because they don't understand. They do not understand. Disease, suffering, sickness, all these things, in addition to what Paul's talking about, they didn't have a lot of these things at that time. They didn't have some of the things around them that caused many of our issues with different kinds of cancers. And we don't know what some of the diseases were specifically when they talked about some of them. They would describe them in words that maybe are different from what we had, but they certainly had uh, a lot of illness and sickness. And Jesus healed women with a hemorrhage. She was, you know, bleeding off and on, could have bled to death at some point. Healed people who were crippled, and maybe they had polio, what we call that today, and other things like that. We're not exactly sure Jesus healed those things. And yet he didn't heal all of them. He didn't heal everything. 
And he said, that's not what I came for. He said, I came to call sinners to repentance. I came to call sinners to repentance and not stop there, but to make a way. And I'm going to become the blood sacrifice, the ultimate one that pays that price. And let's hear what, let's read what happened. Okay. Same passage in John, in 2 Corinthians 5, I was reading before. Paul continues to talk about this being in this tent. For indeed, indeed, we who are in this tent, we groan or burdened because we don't want to be unclothed, but to be clothed. What does he mean by that? So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. And now he who prepared, now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God who has given us the spirit as a pledge. And therefore, being always of good courage, knowing that while we are home in this body, this tent, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not sight. And so what Paul is talking about is whatever your tent looks like, if it's diseased and broken in some way, God has given us by the Holy Spirit this pledge. Jesus said, I'm going so he will come. And you, you, you'll be glad that I'm leaving you because the apostles and all the disciples, all the followers are freaking out because Jesus said he's leaving. But so the Holy Spirit comes as a pledge and a comfort. And sometimes he's the healer. Sometimes God will bring healing and miraculous kinds and all these diseases. And sometimes he does not. And we don't understand why. And there we defer to the sovereignty of God because I don't know. But do I believe the gift of healing has ceased? Absolutely not. That's nonsense. That's nonsense. The gift of healing is still there. But God chooses and heals who he wants to. He chooses who he wants to heal and who he doesn't. I don't understand that. Sometimes it seems cruel. It seems cruel, but God isn't cruel. God is good. So I don't understand that. So we have to lean on Scripture. This is what he's given us. This is the only way we know how to process this stuff by his word. And he says, first of all, I've sent you a spirit to comfort you. My spirit is me. It's me, God in, in spirit, breathing into your spirit to comfort you, to encourage you to help you get through those times. Everything doesn't turn out like Job did. Job's story, Job's story turns out wonderfully, but they don't all turn out like that. And so as Paul said, we've got the spirit as a pledge. And in the meantime, in the meantime, and this is one of those great verses every Christian probably knows, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. That is so much easier said than done. It's frustrating sometimes. We say, wait a minute, I want to see. I want to see around the corner, but you can't. I want to see in the dark, but you can't. It's faith. We receive Christ by faith. I've never seen Jesus. I didn't see the cross. I didn't see the blood. I didn't see these things. I read them and the testimonies of that and what the, how the Spirit has testified with my spirit. And I believed and received that by faith. And he said, we walk by faith, not by sight. And so sometimes... Sometimes when we're suffering with stuff, and we've known many people who have, and some of you watching or listening today may be as well, and I am not making light of that. In fact, I'm just trying to encourage you to hold on to this faith, to this pledge that the Spirit is with you and will soon take you home, and we are fully healed, fully and completely healed. Peter said this, 1 Peter 5.10, after you've suffered for a little while, and he's talking about all kinds of suffering, but but mostly then in that time was persecution. They were beaten and killed by the Romans, by the Jews, by others 
Christians were persecuted. We don't have that here. There are Christians that are persecuted in other countries and killed. God helped them. They pray probably like this. Their lives are more like this part of the New Testament. And our lives are not like that. We pray differently and we groan differently sometimes. But we groan in that same spirit and we believe in that same God and his same power. But Peter said, after you suffer for a little while, the God of all grace, the God of all grace, who calls you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, listen to this, no matter what you're suffering from, no matter what your illness, no matter what your disease, listen to these words. God himself will perfect you, will confirm you, will strengthen you, and will establish you. And you say, well, when's it going to happen? It may not happen, and it ultimately won't happen until he has called you home when you are given that perfect, healed, glorified body. Everything's made well. Everything's made new. All things and all sickness and disease and all those things are gone and they're banished. For those who are in Christ that held on and persevered and knew that, listen, no matter what happens, I know that God loves me and that Jesus Christ died for my sin. And I am so thankful for that no matter what happens, no matter what comes. And I know that it sounds so much easier to say when I'm standing here and being able to stand up and teach and use my mouth and lips and my legs and all these things. We all suffer in different ways. We all groan in different ways. We all have different aches and pains and sickness and diseases. But sometimes not like those we see and we go, oh, oh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken them? Well, Job felt like that and David felt like that and Jesus screamed it out from the cross, screamed it out from the cross. Whew. I've got a verse for you from Revelation and we're done. And you should take so much comfort in this. Mm. In Revelation 21, 4, if something's overwhelming you, overtaking you, you just hold on to this verse in Revelation 21, 4. This is what he's saying. He's speaking here as things wrap up and come to the end. And God will wipe away every tear. Every tear from their eyes. No more death. No more sorrow. No more crying. There should be no more pain. No more pain. For the former things have passed away. And the one seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. All things new. All things new. And he is. But it's in his time. And so as the book was closing, as Revelation was closing, Revelation, the Revelation is the title of the book. As it's closing to end the Bible, God's word, he wrote these words. These are the words of Jesus. And he simply said in, in 22:20, the next last verse, or one of the last verses of the Bible, the very last verses of the Bible, Jesus said this in his own words. Yes. I am coming soon. Yes, I am coming soon. And John's response to that was, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That's Maranatha. When someone say Maranatha, that said, yes. Come, Lord Jesus. Come on. Come soon.
You said you're coming soon. Come soon. And we stand on that promise. And whether we're suffering, disease, sickness, illness, whatever it happens to be, financially suffering, we're, we're hungry, we're, all these things that are human groanings and groanings and sufferings. God said, I'm making all things new. All things new. New heaven, new earth are going to come down. New heaven, new earth are going to come down when it's all said and done. I'm going to get rid of evil's gone. Satan's gone. Demons are gone. They're cast into hell, the ultimate final hell. I'm making all things new, and I'm going to bring it all down. And nature's going to be delighted because it's going to be all new. It's going to be all made new. And you and I, new bodies, reunited with spirits, reunited with loved ones in Christ, that's when it becomes the unbelievable glory of heaven, the real heaven, the true heaven that is and will come. And if you're born again in Christ, you will experience. Oh, praise God and come quickly, Lord Jesus. Maranatha. And for those of you who may be listening and you are not born again in Christ and you reject everything that I'm saying, and you resent it. And the only reason you've stumbled across this is because the Holy Spirit of the living God who is God wanted you to hear this message. Wanted you to hear this plea and appeal that this is real. This is the truth. And I haven't very well or clearly probably explained suffering and reasons and stuff like that to many people. It's not good enough for you. I can't do any better but tell you what God himself says and has revealed to us through his word. Because there's no more to tell you. Other people may lie and tell you something. But at the end of the day, that's what they are. They're deceiving and lies trying to make you feel good now. It's not about feeling good now. It's about understanding that this this new life. This new body, this new, all this new stuff and enjoying heaven, the newness of heaven forever is only through Christ, his blood, his death, his suffering, his groaning. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The suffering, the beatings and all the stuff that happened for you, for you. And until you realize that and fall to your knees and repent of your sin, you will not ever know what this is. And you won't taste death as we know death. But you will taste hell and that forever. And it's just as real as heaven. And it's something that I'll talk about more later, but it's something you don't want to, you don't experience that. You don't want to go there. You do not. So I pray, I prayed before I started today, I prayed that someone somewhere would hear this and know with certainty that what I said was truth because Holy Spirit revealed it to you that way and that you bow the knee and confess your sin and receive Christ as Savior. And I pray that you do. And if you need to reach me to talk about that, it's Walter at OnlyJesus.Life. You can do that. I promise you. I'll talk to you about it. And in the meantime, Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this strong and difficult message. Thank you for some insight into why these things happen. Creation groans. Creatures groan. We groan. All of creation groans and mourns and travails. And it's all because of sin. And so, Lord, help us to continue to confess our sin because we are saved by, by we're saved by grace through faith. We still slip up and sin ourselves, but we are not sinners. And for those, Lord God, who continue to live in sin and choose that over you, they've chosen death, they've chosen hell. I pray, Lord, that someone's hearing this and they will indeed bow the knee and repent and call you Jesus, confess you as Lord and Savior as we have. 
And again, I say, as John, the writer of Revelation, did, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha. For Christ's sake, amen. God bless you. You have a great week. To learn more about how you can become a Christian or grow in your walk with the Lord and receive freely of all the biblically-based content we have created or donate to help keep this ministry going strong, go to onlyjesus.life. That's onlyjesus.life.